Good evening. My name is Mike Murley, and I host Mike Check at 5.30 p.m. every third and fifth Sunday here on WPKN Independent Community Radio. Welcome to everyone listening at 89.5 FM on your radio dial. Welcome to everyone streaming live or tuning in to our podcast at WPKN.org. Each week on Mike Check, one of our hosts examines global, national, and regional issues and their effect on our local community. Just as the phrase Mike Check was used to mobilize people to create a human microphone, during the Occupy movement and others, this weekly program seeks to amplify our community's many voices and bring them to the airwaves. Mike Check is followed on WPKN at 6 p.m. by another public affairs program, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. My heart is heavy for the people of Palestine as they are facing and suffering the most violent and brutal Israeli onslaught in years. In the latest report I have seen, Israel has murdered over 2,300 Palestinians in the past eight days. Nearly half of those slaughtered by Israel have been children. To discuss this ongoing human rights catastrophe, I am honored tonight to be joined by Basil Al-Najjar, a Palestinian Syrian American residing right here in Connecticut. Basil is a member of American Muslims for Palestine, Connecticut, and was an avid member of Students for Justice in Palestine as well, still aiding in their efforts. Basil, welcome to Mike Check. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm really excited to get talking about it. Thank you so much for, for joining me to have this, this urgent and important conversation tonight. It's important for sure. everyone listening right now to understand how personal the ongoing Israeli apartheid and occupation of Palestine is for Basil. And so throughout our discussion tonight, um, Basil, I want you to speak about your roots, your journey, uh, your family, and, and the work you're doing now, as well as your thoughts on the events and the updates of the past week and a half. I know that you were both Palestinian and Syrian, and I was wondering specifically if you could speak a bit about the roots that your family has in Palestine and what inspired you to embark on your journey of organizing for Palestine. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to speak about that. So, um, so yes, like you mentioned before, I am a uh, half Palestinian, half Syrian. My mom is uh, the Palestinian side. She was born in Khalid, or as uh, the English translation would be for Hebron in uh, Palestine. And uh, growing up, uh, so I grew up in West Africa, Connecticut, and growing up uh, in West Africa, Connecticut was an interesting experience because it has, has a large Zionist Israeli presence. So um, growing up, I, my mom never mentioned to me that I was Palestinian. Uh, she kind of switched it uh, and told me I was Jordanian and Syrian. So I, I'm assuming that was in some attempt to protect me from everything that was going to be happening throughout the next couple of the next couple of decades. I mean, for me, uh, living at my home, I have Israeli flags just a couple of roads from me. So there's a strong presence here, and uh, it's really tough to combat, essentially, especially for somebody who's growing up and really didn't know too much about their own history. So I never really connected with it too well. I never connected with the Palestinian side too well. I used to go to Syria all the time. And I kind of considered myself just pretty much Syrian, uh, as well as the Jordanian side. 
And college was when I started to more connect with um, my Palestinian side. I got involved with SJP, uh, Students for in Palestine. I got involved with AMP, American Muslims for Palestine. I got involved with ASA, uh, Arab Student Association. And essentially, I just found like-minded people. Um, they had these same ideals. They had the same goals in mind. And they kind of inf- educated me on what it meant to be Palestinian. Because I've been Palestinian my whole life, but I never really knew what that meant. So uh, when I kind of took that and uh, started rolling with my uh, friend group, social group community. I felt more comfortable, but I never really reached that peak height until I actually went to Palestine. So I went to Palestine in 2019. Um, This was in the fall of 2019. And when I went to Palestine, I was able to see my family for uh, my mom's side of the family for the first time ever in my entire life. Um, I got to see the streets. I got to see my house. I got to see the old city, pretty much everything that makes Palestine, Palestine. And Seeing my family uh, for the first time, it gave me a, a, just a completely different perspective on everything. You know, I always, uh, through SJP, AMP, ASA, stuff like that, I was always fighting for something, but I didn't know who I was fighting for. When I actually got to Palestine and saw my family, I got to see the people, I got to see the um, people who've been living there under these brutal conditions for 75 years. You know, I kind of gave a face to the struggle. And I was so happy to be able to experience that. It's really, I encourage everybody to go visit Palestine um, and get that for once in their life. And when I kind of took all those experiences with me, I came back to America and it gave me a second gear essentially. And it gave me a different perspective on everything. And I promised to them that I would always, always fight for them, always stay in contact with them. I'm giving them updates and everything. So uh, the whole journey of Organized for Palestine has been a long one, but it's something that I will take with me for the rest of my life, and I'll never, I'll never apologize for it, essentially. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that, Basil. And in, so you, you, you just spoke about seeing your family in Palestine for the first time in fall 2019. It sounds like you still have family in Palestine right now as we speak. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. They, um, they're mainly, they're actually solely located in the West Bank. So it hasn't been the main point of attack for the Israelis in the past week. Gaza is where they're mostly um, playing their attacks on. So I really pray for the, all the families, children, uh, mothers, dads, uh, everybody in Gaza who is experiencing this uh, turmoil for the past 75 years. But we do still stay in contact with our family in the West Bank, um, always making sure that they're okay. And I know there have been some issues in the West Bank in the past week, um, so we're staying vigilant on it. But we also acknowledge that for the past seven, this isn't something that's been just for the past week. For the past seventy-five years, my family have, has lived under the occupation, so it's um, it's tough. But definitely making sure that they know that we're there for them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, and and my prayers are with them as well, with your family. Uh, in the West Bank. And yeah, it's just a such a, a terrifying time right now. And I'm glad that you mentioned that the situation didn't begin a week and a half ago, that there is this, this long history and this lineage. I wanted to talk about how uh, over the past few days, media outlets and news publications such as the Middle East Eye, the New Arab, and even PBS have highlighted the fears of many Palestinians that a second Nakba is unfolding in real time. And I know that the 75th anniversary of the Nakba was uh, this past May here in, in uh, 2023. And so mm-hmm. Basil, I was wondering if you could, if you could talk about the Nakba, what it was, 
its impact and how it has shaped Palestinian life ever since. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so the Nekbe, uh, it's an Arabic word, and the English translation is catastrophe. So the Nekbe was carried out in 1948 um, after the Holocaust and relocated the Jews to Palestine. And the fact of the matter is that initially in Palestine, Christians, Jews, Muslims all lived in peace, harmony, and essentially no issues. Um, but after that, uh, the Nekbe was the catastrophe, was when Israel illegally drove out hundreds of thousands of people from their homes, killing, displacing, murdering, uh, taking advantage of, essentially just moving an entire country out of the place that they call home. And what proceeded from this was 75 years of genocide, occupation, war crimes, apartheid, international law breakage. Essentially, you can keep on going with these uh, just adjectives and um, descriptions, terrible descriptions of what's been happening the past 75 years. And this, the main thing I want to point out is the Nekba did not end after that initial push. It's been going on for the past 25 years. And currently what's happening right now, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, this has been going on for a week, but the actual entire story has been going on for 75 years. But Israel is literally, it, it, in terms of the second Nekba right now, which is uh, what we're going through, Israel is literally broadcasting to the world that they plan on genociding and displacing and causing another catastrophe or Nekbe to the Palestinian people, and they're still able to get away with it. They are currently bombing Gaza. They're currently murdering. We just lost uh, the phone connection with Basil, so I'm going to uh, give him a call right now and uh, get him back on the line. So please bear with us here for one moment while we get Basil and Nezer back on the line in our uh, very important and urgent conversation right now okay and we're we're back now with with Basil Al-Najr from American Muslims for Palestine Connecticut and formerly Students for Justice in Palestine as well Basil can you hear me yes yes I can Mike okay awesome yeah I don't know what happened there and uh, hopefully that inshallah that doesn't happen uh, again during the during the um the conversation here because it's a it's such an urgent conversation but i i apologize uh and but yeah i i know that uh you were just speaking about the the current situation in terms of israel's uh evacuation order um and the, the forced migration happening yes uh, i'm not sure where i left honestly but i think the main point to be taken from that is that the nekba did not end in 1948 the, the nekba has been going on to this present day and we will continue to resist and to fight and to speak up for the Palestinian people uh, in Gaza and the West Bank and Palestinians all over the world until we reach a point where Palestinians achieve peace, justice, prosperity, and mainly freedom. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Basil. In terms of the, the current situation that is, that is unfolding right now and everything that you just mentioned, everything that you just named, and the, the protests... And how, um, as a university student, you have been involved in in student organizing for Palestine. There have been protests all across the United States, very inspiring, you know, big turnouts, massive demonstrations. And within the past week, Harvard students who signed a petition in support of Palestinian human rights 
saw their names and faces plastered across a box truck under the words Harvard's leading anti-Semites. This is, of course, just the latest example of backlash to students organizing for Palestine, but it shows the risks that all people, but specifically in this context, students, face when speaking up for Palestine. And so, Basil, I was wondering, uh, it's kind of a, I kind of have like a two-part question for you when it comes to this. And first, I know you actually spoke at a recent rally in Hartford earlier this week, and you spoke on this topic. I was wondering if you could briefly explain the concept of Zionism and share your thoughts on the accusations used that these Harvard students are somehow anti-Semites for signing a petition in support of Palestinian human rights. Yeah, definitely. So this is an extremely important topic, something that I always uh, make sure to mention at every single demonstration, every single protest, every single uh, meeting, essentially, that we have. Um, In the simplest, concise terms, because I feel like uh, you don't have to really complicate this sort of thing, Zionism is a political ideology, a political ideology that was based from the initial point of inception of Israel and is based on suppression, the silencing, and essentially just the erasing of the Palestinian people. And then that's what Zionism is, and that's what we're opposing. When we say we are opposing Israel, we are opposing Zionism. On the other hand, Judaism is a peaceful religion, not an ideology like Zionism is, that preaches love thy neighbor as you love thyself, as under the golden rule of Judaism. Conflation is one of the most dangerous precedents in exactly how media, communities, governments, other people, they try to silence us activists by saying that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Israel weaponized Judaism to shield itself from criticism. And the fact of the matter, the main point I wanted to take from this is that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Not, not for the Harvard students and not for anybody else. People are going to tell you that just solely for the goal of trying to scare you and keeping you away from our movement, which is essentially going back to the Zionist approach of suppression uh, of the Palestinian voices. If uh, the JVP is one of our big, big supporters, the Jewish Voice for Peace, there were 150 Jewish allies yesterday, just yesterday arrested in New York for standing up and supporting our movement. Jews are at the Jews at the top of their communities come stand with us at every single demonstration. I'm literally friends with uh, many of them, beca- uh, uh, some of the uh, well-known names, because I see them all the time. And I make sure to take pictures of them every single time because I want them to know that we appreciate their support and we are very thankful that they're there to lend their voices and get people to understand the difference between um, Zionism and Judaism. And essentially, they want to acknowledge that Israel does not define them. So the main point is just this is just a fear tactic in order to steer us away, to steer people away from Palestinians. And we are not going to be silenced. At UConn, I experienced this on a daily basis. Uh, We always uh, fought back against it and we will continue to fight back against it because this is not how we are defined. And if there are any um, demonstrations where there is any sort of anti-Semitism, we will always make sure to denounce it. We will always acknowledge that if you are here and standing against Judaism, then we don't want you here. Because that is not what our movement is defined by. Anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Thank you so much for sharing that and, to, and, and speaking to that, that phenomenon. You know, as we've seen so many times, black, brown, Muslim students often find themselves targeted when they speak up for Palestine on college campuses around the country. Like you said, not just in Harvard. Um, here in Connecticut, on college campuses. 
And it's something that, and, and there's entire organizations, uh, Zionist organizations that seem to be just all based around, uh, you know, exposing students who organize in defense of Palestinian human rights. And so thank you for speaking to that and also for speaking to Zionism and, and that distinction, because like you said, it's, it's a really, it's a really powerful point and a really important distinction. And I know you spoke to this a little bit, but again, I was wondering if you could, if there's, for example, students listening right now that, that might be hesitating to go to any, any Palestine rallies or to speak up for Palestine, what would you say to them um, in terms of, you know, students that, that feel in their heart that these Palestine rallies are a good thing and that what's being done to the Palestinians is, is clear injustice and oppression? But, yeah. but hesitate out of fear of, of backlash or of, mm. of even being being falsely labeled anti-Semitic. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That is, a, that is such an important thing that I always mention to anybody talking about Palestine because I want people to know that you should not be scared. I wholly acknowledge the fear in it. I understand that um, people are scared of being blackballed. People are scared of getting in trouble. People are getting scared of being called anti-Semites. But um, as you know, the funny thing about Israel is that they're so nonchalant about showing the truth, their true selves. They always expose themselves. And with every single passing year, with every single passing incident, people are finally really uh, waking up and realizing the true atrocities that they have commit on a daily basis towards the Palestinian people. And because of that, the Palestine-Israel issue is becoming less taboo. This is not like a thing that should be hush-hush behind closed doors talked about. This is something that people are talking about all over the world. When I'm In the past week, I've heard people talking about it on the streets. I see people going to stores and chatting about it. I see people posting on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat who have never even heard acknowledged the, the Palestine-Israel. And people are talking about it all over the place. And the main thing I want to say is that we have the truth on our side. So you should not, never be afraid to stand up for what's right. You know, there are instances of um, mistreatment. Um, there are instances of issues. They're going, like the Harvard thing that you just mentioned. There are always going to be those things. Uh, if you well, I want to take a side point, if they're uh, do run into those issues, definitely contact a lawyer for that. But um, there are always going to be issues in terms of, you know, fear of actually talking about it. But we are the ones who should not be afraid. They are the ones who should be afraid because we have the truth to expose to them. They're saying that they're the scary ones. No, no, no. We're the scary ones. And we're not going to be scared because we are going to be talking for the people who are risking their lives every single day out in Palestine. You're going to tell me that you're scared to speak up when people are scared to walk into their house that are scared of being shot in the head. You're going to tell me that you're scared of uh, using your social media platform when people are fearing for their lives every single day. I think, you know, you, the least people can do is speak up uh, when they're talking about their voices. But there's also this opposite side to this because in my eyes and a lot of people's eyes um, as well, silence is choosing the side of the oppressor. So, you know, you can say that you want to be, um, you don't want to talk, but when you're not talking, you're also complicit in uh, the Israel's war crimes. 
Israel's occupation, Israel's apartheid, Israel's genocide. Because every time that you don't talk, you're essentially choosing the side of the oppressor. And how I think about it is I'm going to think about my family. So it's maybe more personal to me. I'm never going to let my family down. Uh, if I'm thinking about it as a Muslim, I'm thinking about when I die and God asks me my questions and talks to me about what I did, I'm going to be strong and recognize that I never stood down for what's right. And when I'm talking about in terms of everybody, essentially, um, when you're old on your deathbed, are you really going to regret speaking up for what's right? Are you really going to regret doing uh, the bare minimum? Yes. But then also it means so much to the Palestinian people. We're not scared. Uh, they're not scared. So we should not be scared because one day Palestine will be free. There are going to be museums and statues and remembrances. And everybody's going to be like, I sat on the right side of history. I spoke up for Palestine. So this is not just like a subject to be chatted about and like um, talked about and discussed and analyzed. No, this is about actual people. This is about what's right versus what's wrong. This is about good versus evil. and affects all of us. So I want to really emphasize the point that you should not be scared. You will never regret speaking up for Palestine, and you will never understand how much your voices actually help the people of Palestine. So just um, definitely never be scared um, and acknowledge that um, the people of South Africa, the people of Algeria, the people of Libya, the freedom fighters all over the world, I'm sure they don't regret their moves, and I'm sure you won't as well. Thank you so much for sharing that, Basil. And I think that that applies not just to students, but certainly to, to everyone, to all of us. So thank you so much for saying that. And we have just a few minutes left. And so I was wondering if you could talk about the demands right now that American Muslims for Palestine and Students for Justice in Palestine are calling for and how folks that are listening to this show right now can take action to support those demands. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I'll, uh, I'll run through this quick. So I think the main demands that we're talking about right now uh, is condemn the genocide in the Gaza Strip. We're calling on Biden. We're calling on representatives. We're calling on our Congress people, uh, essentially everybody to urge that and to call off the ground invasion. They've mur mass murdered people for 75 years. Uh, and these people in power have been complicit in genocide for, uh, for decades on end. So we demand that you acknowledge that Palestinians' rights exist. Like you mentioned before, we've had about 2,500 death count in the Gaza, and it's only going to get worse. So we ask that you, we ask, uh, we demand that they condemn genocide. Uh, the second thing would be to give Palestinians support, uh, aid, funding, sanctuary, providing them shelter, giving them access to the basic human resources that Israel has cut them off from for their entire lives, ending the blockade, ending the imprisonment, ending the siege in Gaza, abiding by UN law. And number three will be supporting H.R. 2590, which is the only Palestinian-related bill in Congress. And it condemns the imprisonment and illegal interrogation of Palestinian children, which is a practice that is only done by Israel. The entire world, they are the only country that allows the imprisonment and illegal interrogation of Palestinian children. So we want to condemn the genocide, uh, give Palestinian support, and support H.R. 2590. And how can folks learn more about American Muslims for Palestine and Students for Justice in Palestine? 
Yeah, um, in this day and age, social media is king. So really, I think the main things that we're gonna, you're going to be looking at when you're talking about uh, Palestine are going to be looking at Instagram, Facebook, what's uh, pretty much just staying connected with uh, your local organizations, staying connected with uh, large figures who are consistently speaking about it, like uh, Ion Palestine, Linda Sarsour, Sean King, staying up to date with the media in terms of what's actually happening and not what the media is trying to feed you. Uh, staying updated with uh, local organizations such as AMP, uh, SJP. There are chapters all over the country. There are also side organizations who are also working towards the liberation of Palestine, um, getting involved in demonstrations, getting involved in petitions, getting involved with meetings, uh, joining the BDS movement, which is boycott, divest, and sanction against Israeli products, and just really get involved because you will never understand truly how much your voice matters. When we can't go over there and physically help Palestine, all we have is our voices. So you use your voice, and I promise you, you will truly make a difference in the fight for Palestinian liberation. Basil Al-Najjar of American Muslims for Palestine in Connecticut and Students for Justice in Palestine, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Mic Check, and thank you for all the powerful work that you're doing. Really appreciate it, Mike. Uh, thank you for having me on, and if anybody listening, just remember, free Palestine. Free, free Palestine. Thank you so much.